that, we've got company. Hello. Trust me, Hera, I'm excited. This is my excited face. No, oh, he's making me so happy. I like you. You don't fit in around here either. All right, if I tag along? The more the merrier. Get ready to be impressed. You ready to be impressed, Tam? I'm completely ready. Bright suns, everyone. You're listening to the Geeky Bubble. I am your host, Jonah, and with me is the genetic manipulating Kaminoan to my monstrous science experiment, <laughs> my, my mom, Maria. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that took, how long that it took you to get that one? Actually, this is my first time saying it out loud, so I'm glad <laughs> I got it right. <laughs> Hello. Today, we're going to discuss the season two episodes of The Bad Batch, Metamorphosis, the outpost and pebble. Yes, it's not metamorphosis, mommy. As, as you it were, sounds better. <laughs> it sounds better. As you were trying to explain to me when we were first watching it. Yes, it, it sounds better. It sounds more like wow. Okay. No, I don't think so. Whatever. <laughs> Metamorphosis. Metamorphosis. <laughs> Well, you say potato, I say potato. Exactly. <laughs> so this last mission, the Bad Batch and Omega that they do for Sid, uh, leads to pure and utter chaos and craziness. <laughs> so they find a baby Zillow Beast that becomes a big Zillow Beast in a matter of minutes. And uh, the people of the planet are taken captive. And the Bad Batch are back on the Empire's radar to some extent. And they cut off ties with Sid. So there was a lot going on (laughs) in that episode. So let's talk about Sid first. You know, we've been talking about how the team had to go their own separate way. uh, And they're literally ghosting her now. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) yes. They're ghosting her. And uh, it almost almost sounds like they made an enemy out of her, sort of. And so do you think she'll contact the Empire with what she knows? Because to me, she sounded very serious. It wasn't just a threat, like she said. Well, we've been saying it for a while that this... Two people that have already advised the Bad Bash that Sid is now no one to be trusted. The first time was Fee, and the second time was Malegi. So one, Malegi is a very bad person, so our our first instinct is, okay, he's just doing it to put the, the seed of doubt there. Right, right. But Fee, on the other hand... While not 100% trustworthy, because we don't know her yet, up to that point. up to that point. Up to that point. (laughs) Sounded more out of concern and real advice than anything else. Right, right. So we've always been in the, you know, in in that fine line, whether is she going to betray them? Is she not going to betray them? Is she going to betray them? Is she not going to betray them? It's like the, the, you love me, you love me not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) So I think that, and we've been seeing in the evolution of their, of their relationship where she sends them to these missions and and then basically leaves them on their own and doesn't provide assistance when they need it. 
that she may be seeing them as an asset, not necessarily as family, as friends, or anything like that. And when you're an asset, then you can do with that asset whatever you need. And we see the empire. Yes. They see the clone as assets. So yeah. they don't, it doesn't matter if they die. It doesn't matter what happens to them. They're just an asset. They're a means to an end. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that the clone has finally started seeing, you know, especially um, Hunter. Hunter, that this is not working out. This is not what we were looking for. This is not what we want to do for the rest of our lives. Right. Now, the ghosty part, like, <laughs> like, man, if you have guts to go into those deadly situations, like you've been going into, why are you not just telling her? That's it. We're done. You think whatever you want. I'm telling you right now, we're done. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, is, it is funny, the fact that they've done so many things that have put their lives in danger but the the one thing that they should do, which is, you know, like with any relationship, tell them. Be upfront. Yeah. Like, you know what? Say, <laughs> no, I'm but sorry. you know, I, I, I totally understand. It is a scary feeling. <laughs> scarier than, you know, things that should be scarier. Um, but yeah, it is it is a scary feeling. So I can understand the ghost thing part. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so funny. And so the series brought back the Zillow Beasts. So, you know, going back to Star Wars The Clone Wars in the episode, The Zillow Beast Strikes Back, Palpatine told the scientists at the time to clone it. And I actually went back to to watch the last couple of minutes of that episode. And I was just like, wow, the, the animation has significantly improved <laughs> since then. Because <laughs> this was in season two of the, of the Clone Wars. And it's also crazy how this episode picks up a story thread from 2010, because that's when the episode first aired. And it makes sense that this follow-up would be picked up here in the Bad Bad series, because of the whole cloning aspect and, uh, you know, and Palpatine's obsessed with immortality and cloning and making sure that his consciousness survives in some way. So yeah, yeah, it's just, it was really cool to see the Zillow Beast come back because I think there was a conversation or an interview with Dave where he mentioned ideas of it possibly popping up in Rebels, but that never happened, obviously. And uh, yeah, it's just really interesting to have this thread picked up uh, at the time this episode aired was last year, so 13 years later. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that was really cool. The whole episode, to me, it was sort of like the gateway. Like, they needed to be in that particular danger, an enemy that they could not destroy. Oh, yeah, An enemy yeah. that they could not get away with. Because, in essence, let's face it, they really didn't get away from the syllabus. No. <laughs> <laughs> they had to leave because of the empire, empire showing up. So, um, and, and the empire knew how to deal with the beast. Which at one point we see Wrecker saying they're not killing it; yeah. they're taking it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so they have to come to that point to say, you know, this that's it, that's it. We're done. We're not doing this anymore. <laughs> yeah. And you know, we learned that they uh, want to weaponize the Zillow Beast, or at yeah. least harness some of its its natural qualities, like the fact that a lightsaber couldn't go through it. Like yeah. back when Anakin was fighting it and discovered that it's impenetrable. Yeah. Um. So it, it makes you wonder whether they're the Empire is successful in in ever doing anything with that, because to my knowledge, at least 
from what I remember, I don't think we've seen anything so far from like the sequels or anything in between that might allude to Zillow Beast technology or anything that might relate to it. But it, it would be interesting if a story down the line pops up with with that with any scientific discoveries regarding the Zillow Beast. Like uh, the the thing is that if you pay attention to the way the empire works, you have two different forces working together. But sometimes, especially at the times where you probably will need them to work more close, they tend to go their own separate ways. You have the Sith on one side looking just for himself, what I want, this is my goal. And then you have the greedy scientists and and and, and generals and whatnot trying to get power for themselves as well. Yeah. So in this situation, I see it easy for things to just go down the crack because you have the seat that says, okay, you know what? I don't care about that anymore. Let's move on. Let's do something else. And then you have the greedy scientist trying to do something, getting caught in it and blowing it all up to pieces. <laughs> <laughs> true, true. So that, there is that possible, those possibilities. But you know, one thing's for sure is that uh, you can bet that Hunter was thinking about Omega, yeah. uh, especially towards the end there when he told Tech to send the information to Echo and Rex, because the fact that cloning is involved, it makes you wonder what, what else, else the Empire has planned yep. or, or what they have been doing in the shadows this entire time. And then speaking of cloning, we're introduced to a new character, Dr. Royce Hemlock. Um, so I was wondering what were your first impressions of this dude? He's the reason I'm, I made my comment because that dude is going to be the end of all the whatever they're doing because <laughs> he is too much full of himself. Oh, okay. And wanting too much. So I think that he's going to be the undoing of everything that is happening right there. Oh, that's a good point. I can totally see that happening. And, and you know, in, in writing my podcast notes, actually, I, I fell down this Wikipedia rabbit hole. Because um, <laughs> I was curious, because he he gave me the kind of vibes that you would see from unethical human experimentations. Yeah. And there have been a lot. That's why I fell into this rabbit hole, because there's this timeline of unethical human experimentations in the United States. I didn't even get to see what was happening internationally just because of how long that page was. But I was like... All these awful and horrendous things that have happened in the name of science, it, I feel like Hemlock is a representation of that. Yes. Yeah. Yes. He has yeah. no regard for human life or any any life for that matter. And the thing is that, like you said, in the name of science, when it's really not science, because science has a, a procedure, it, it has rules. And these people, they don't follow the rules and they can repeat the same experiment over and over and over without getting anything just because they want to, because mm. they like the pain, they like the suffering, they, they enjoy the power they have. Right. And Hemlock is this guy. <laughs> yeah, totally. Because it, it kind of reminds me of that uh, Jurassic Park quote when... Ian Malcolm says, uh, your scientists were so preoccupied with whether or not they could, they didn't stop to think whether they should. Yes. And it's such a, uh, a relevant quote because they're all in <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> without really thinking about like the consequences of what they're doing 
whatever it is that they're doing because we haven't watched the last three episodes yet. So. Yeah, and we only know of the Silo Beast. That's yeah, it. You know, that's it. So, yeah. Although although I, I like when Nala said, says to, to the doctor, like, I know what your emperor is oh, trying yes. to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like... She's not dumb. She's she was the cloning master there. Yeah. In yeah. the in um, Camino. Camino. Yeah. El Camino. El Camino. <laughs> <laughs> El Camino Jonah. So funny. <laughs> oh man. So um yeah. Uh, it'd be interesting to know yeah. what what else. What else is happening here? It's also fascinating that his name is Hemlock. So like for those of you who are not familiar, Hemlock is a poisonous plant. And I, and I also learned this, although I kind of knew it, I just forgot it over time. But the ancient Greeks used hemlock to execute criminals. Yeah. Uh, so it's safe to say that this guy is bad news. Yes. <laughs> just, you know. <laughs> just the name alone. Just the name alone should give you that hint. Um, and then we also learned that Nalase hasn't been cooperating with the Empire. And then Lama Su, who is... You know, out to save his own skin, shares information about Omega and, and how she's a crucial component in, in possibly getting Nala Say to cooperate. Um, and so I just wanted to, like, go back a little bit into season one. So remember how Nala Say hired Fennec yes. Shand uh, to find Omega? And Fennec had actually told Omega, what the prime minister has planned for you is far worse than why I'm here. And, and Fennec eventually loses Omega, and she reports back to Nala Say. And Nala said, uh, as long as she's not in the hands of Lama Su, she is safe. Because Lama Su had told her in that same episode to extract the genetic material from Omega and terminate her. And then in that same episode, Tech told us that Omega has pure first-generation DNA and that she's the sole living source of Jango Fett's raw genetic material. And one of the things Omega told Hunter at the very end of that episode was, I don't want to end up an experiment in a tube. Evidently, you know, things are going in that direction. Yeah. Uh, and I feel stressed out thinking about it. Because uh, when, when, when Camino got destroyed, it's sort of like a, a relief. Like, okay, cloning ends here. There's no more, you know, yeah. uh, reason to be worried about my me. But when she sees all this cloning... Uh, technology. technology happening and she knows cloning is still going on then you can see it in her face that something is gonna happen yeah yeah I, so much stress yes. uh, yeah and i also wanted to like toss in this throwback to the legends books so nala say kind of reminds me of this scientist from the republic commando series uh, novel series. Uh, there was a scientist in those books called Ovalot Kale Uthan, and the emperor had commissioned her to create a clone-killing virus. And at one point, the virus, which wasn't fully targeting clones just yet, was released on her home planet. And in response to losing her home and everything she loved, and everyone she loved, uh, she was going to release the virus on Coruscant as a, as a revenge. Um, and I bring her up because there's, you know, these two scientists who lost their homes because of Palpatine. And I honestly wonder whether Nala, Nala Say will, like, stick it to him somehow. Yeah, like, uh, <laughs> that in the end, she will be that, that, uh, that card nobody sees coming. Right, you know, like a wild card or something. Being thrown in the table. Yeah. I win it all. Yeah, yeah, because we, uh. know, we know that he is successful, because we see it in the sequels. But at the same time, it's just not, like... 
what you would expect to see out of the emperor cloning wise. Um, you know, he wasn't really, he had to have something like mechanically move him and whatnot. It's just, it, yeah. it brings into question, like, why, why has it taken so long for this to work? And it could be because Nala Sages was just like, F you, dude. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to help you. Um, and that's why the process took much longer. And there were so many experiments and do-overs because the process was never really perfected. No. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and also in those books, Uthan was trying to find a way to reverse accelerated aging in clones. And I wanted... Uh, I always wanted that aspect to be brought into canon because I want my clones to have lifespans that are longer than what they currently have. And I'm yeah. just like, can we focus on that? <laughs> <laughs> so I don't think they will ever bring that over to canon. But yeah. <laughs> anyway, so going back to this uh, mountain, Tantus, uh, that's where Crosshair ends up going uh, in the episode, The Outpost. But before he gets there... He has this one last mission for the Empire. Yeah, I, I, I love... It, it is good to see Crosshair's evolution. Yes. You know, yes. from a member, an intricate part of Clone Force 99. Right. To no longer being and take going his own way, staying with the Empire, because a good soldier follows orders, you know? And slowly seeing what following orders really means, what is happening out there, which they were told, he was told, or he was given indication that it will end up happening somehow mm -hmm. to this point in Outpost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I loved it. It was so great. Um, you know, and during this mission, he meets a clone trooper called Mayday. Which is an interesting name for him since he emphasized how he would often request more reinforcements, resources, a mayday for help, yeah. if you will. <laughs> um, but he never got it. And I just, I love how we both had similar reactions to this episode because, you know, we've been waiting and yep. waiting for Crosshair to realize the truth, like snap out of it, Crosshair. <laughs> that the Empire thinks of them as expendable pieces of equipment. And when he finally does realize it it's just pure satisfaction it's like ah yes yes and, <laughs> and i love the 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 bird or whatever it was the vulture the, the, the ice vulture just showing you know sort of like a, a metaphor yeah. for either freedom or whatever it was but it kept coming at those moments where he had to think it kept coming yeah so i wanted to talk a little bit about the vulture because according to mayday um it's a survivor so even in the harshest conditions like crosshair who has been through the harshest conditions still finds a way to survive and i had to you know look it up because i was curious like what sort of scholarly articles out there talked about the symbolism behind the vulture um, and I found this one article called Of Love and Loathing, The Role of the Vulture in Three Cultures, specifically Ancient Greece, Ancient Egypt, and Christianity. In one of the passages, the, there's a quote that was, uh, the vulture's appearance in the sky is very ominous as it arrives when punishment is about to ensue. And then in some ancient civilizations, like in ancient Egypt, it was believed that the vulture symbolizes rebirth. So it's very cool that the Bad Batch would 
that the creators would use a vulture to represent this pivotal uh, it, moment it, for him. Both sides of the moment, because it's the punishment yes. and the rebirth. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just like, oh, that's so brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> that's brilliant. <laughs> Don't you love things like that? I love it. I love it. To, I, love I love it. to watch things like that. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. Like, you wouldn't think of it. You, you just, you're just so concentrated in... In what's happening on the ground, you really don't don't see those things happening around. Yeah, and ah, yeah, that's it's, awesome. it's always great when they insert symbolism and all these other literary devices in there. It's awesome. One of my favorite details of this episode is how they had Crosshair in this post Order sixty six Imperial world working with a regular clone trooper again because the other time was with Cody, and I like this detail because when we first meet Crosshair in Star Wars The Clone Wars in the Bad Batch arc, the first thing we see him do is just have this like stare off with Jesse who's yeah. one, one of the regular <laughs> clones and, and he says, we don't usually work with rags and he flicks his, uh, his uh, a toothpick, stick, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> toothpick at Jesse. But here you have him working and connecting with a regular clone it's, it's that that evolution is like going Coming full from circle. circle. Yeah, yeah. Like, unbelievable. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the parts that really hit the nail on the head for him uh, when they go to pick up the stolen crates and, and, and they find that the, the crates have stormtrooper armor, that that's what they've been guarding. And Mayday says, after all the clones have done what we've sacrificed, we're good soldiers, we followed orders, and for what? And that's, you know, that's one of the moments that really hits the nail on the head for him. And the other moment is when Lieutenant Nolan just lets Mayday die without medical assistance. And then my question to you, though, is if Mayday hadn't died, let's just, you know, put that out there. Like if if he hadn't died, do you think Crosshair would still be with the Empire? The thing is for Mayday not to die... Uh, the lieutenant would, would have, have to, to have done something right, for right. it. I, I was just In, wondering if, like, if condi- if his condition wasn't that bad. No, no. Like, if he wasn't at a terminal point. No, I don't think so, because the, the sole fact that the lieutenant says... We're not gonna. We're not gonna waste resources. When he yeah. says he needs medical attention, he was still alive, and l- the lieutenant says no. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, like it didn't matter whether he was going to survive or not. It was the, the fact that he said no. No, yeah. And he turned around and he told them, you're expendable. Yeah. That was like the can. The, 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 yeah. what's, what's the expression? The, the, the straw that broke the broke camel's, camel's back. back. Yeah. Yes. And, and I think that would have been enough. I don't think he would have shot him, but that would have been enough for him to like. No, this ah, is not. I gotcha. You know I what gotcha. I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. But then he dies, Mayday dies, and he just turns around after saying, get up and be useful Yeah. while you have the time. That that was it. Yeah. That, that, that was it. And when he says, Lieutenant, I just wish I could have seen... His face. Crosshairs, yeah. Because we see the lieutenant's face when he goes and he opens his eyes like, oh, what's happening? But we don't get to see crosshairs. True. Ah, yeah. I I don't condone killing, but... Yeah, I mean, what goes around comes comes around. around. Exactly. And And one of the things that I kept saying every time this dude 
opened his mouth, one of the things that I kept thinking in my head, like, I hope you get your comeuppance. I hope I can see that happening. (laughs) Because he was so cold. And and the way he treated the clones, like... And and the way that he called them used used equipment. equipment. Uh, what? Ah, it just it frustrates me. It yeah, frustrates yeah, yeah. me whenever yeah. their clones are treated like that. But one of the things that resonated with me the most was when Crosshair said the uh, that the attacker's body that they found in the cave was dead weight. And Mayday said, remind me not to die on your watch. Right. Um, and so when the avalanche happened and Mayday got hurt, Crosshair brought him all the way back to the outpost, even though Mayday was essentially dead weight. Crosshair could have left him behind, but he didn't. And I just, uh, that was just... That's when I knew he was going to die. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And so um, we still have three episodes left to watch in the series. And I know folks listening to the podcast already know what happens. (laughs) So bear with us as we come up with theories of our own in this little geeky bubble of ours. Yeah. Um, But uh, mommy... Bubble indeed. Bubble, yes. Um, But mommy, what, what do you think is going to happen next with Crosshair? Well, the fact that he wakes up where he wakes up, right. we know where that woman is. Yes. And we know what happened in that mountain in terms of um, the minister brought, being brought in. Yes. And Nalase being there, a prisoner. It's all coming together. <laughs> to me, the, the, there's only two possibilities for Crosshair being there. He's not a, a, a pure clone or whatever. So right. his, his genetic material really doesn't matter. Right. He's there to either go after Omega or as a trap. what you call as a trap. Yeah, to lure to lure the the, the, the rest others. of the groups. Yeah, that's a good. That's what I was thinking. Uh, more of like a uh, sending a distress signal or something, and possibly luring Bad Batch in. I don't. I honestly don't know what to expect because I haven't watched. I mean, I know certain things because obviously the internet talks, and so. So I know like the like big beats, like two or three things, but the like the minor details, like how we get there, I do not know <laughs> at all. Well, you know more than me. <laughs> I'm in the complete darkness. Uh, but yeah, I I can't I can't wait. I can't wait. Hello, darkness, my old friend. <laughs> um, and so let's talk about Fee. So she turned out to be completely different than what you and I expected, right? Somewhat, because the the first encounter with Fee, all we get is. She commanding things and having sort of like an upper hand over Sid in terms of, you know, I'm my own right. person here, yes, yes. you know. We know she she um, flirts with tech, <laughs> but that's basically it, you know. Right, right, right. Then the next time we see her, we sort of like, oh, she's more like uh, our old friend. Um, Hondo. Hondo, you know, <laughs> she's just a quirky pirate kind of person. Right, right, who you couldn't really completely trust, trust either. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And we also saw that she had this kind of quality like uh, the our um, treasure hunter that we also... Oh, Mika Gray, yes. So, you know, that... That makes it a little bit better. It's, you know, yeah, different. Yeah. Yeah, different. Yeah. She's different. We don't know exactly how good that difference is, but she's different. Right, right. 
And of course, she's different. Yes, this episode, <laughs> this episode really turned it around. I was just like, ah, yes, Fi is awesome. Um, yeah, so even though she likes spitting these exaggerated tales, she was telling the truth in that she is a liberator of ancient wonders um, because she hunts for artifacts that are remnants of other people's culture, specifically the people on Pabu who are refugees. And to her, that's worth preserving. So... You know, naturally, she's a woman after my own heart because I love when people talk about the preservation of historical and cultural artifacts. That's my love language. (laughs) (laughs) And also, is the Archeum hiring? Are they looking for an archivist? (laughs) Because I would love to work there. But yeah, I just thought that was really cool. The fact that they, they have this archive as their like centerpiece in the island, like Oh, I just I love it when culture and history is just like their number one thing. <laughs> you know what, Yara? You 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 will really be an excellent archivist for historical preservation. Cause you have this love of all things. <laughs> I do. <laughs> the I do. older the better. Yes, yes. <laughs> She's even hunting for sites. Yes, I do hunt for sites. <laughs> I do look for things that potentially might be of archaeological interest. So, yeah, I, I, I'm always thinking. I'm, I'm always looking. I've thought about digging in our backyard. But, <laughs> um, but anyway, I like that Fee's been a positive influence on Omega and the Bad Batch. You know, she's the complete opposite of Sid in that way. You know, they were, they were only a means to an end for Sid uh, as a way to make money. But Fee treats them like people. Yeah. And, and she understands that a place like Pabu could be beneficial to them, and especially to Omega, who is yeah, still she's very taken, much a kid. She, she's taken a lot to, uh, to Omega, and we see why. Because there's this girl in Pabu who all calls her Aunt Fee. Yeah, Aunt Fee. Yeah. So she sees Omega, and she sees a kid, and yeah, a kid yeah. needs love, and it needs attention, and it needs special... Uh, surroundings for yes. their development. Development. Yeah, yeah. I know it was so great for them to finally experience something good and happy. But of course, that did not last. <laughs> <laughs> As is the Star Wars tradition, it did not last. Chaos struck. Part of me was like, seriously? Seriously? Yeah, at one point I was like, oh, come on. Yeah. They found a good place. They're going to take it away? Because I, I honestly thought that the island was going to be destroyed. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah, I initially thought that the Empire was descending or something. I was like, oh, no, come on. And I was just uh, surprised, actually, that it turned out to be a, a natural disaster. And, um, you know, I went in a twisted way. The, the tremor and the ensuing sea surge disaster that happened helped demonstrate like a sense of community and resilience in this little this little group of people. It's also one of the rare instances that we see natural disasters take place in Star Wars. Uh, some of the previous instances I can think of were more man-made or caused by something that wasn't natural. So like um, on the planet Aline in that Mercy Mission episode yeah. back in Star Wars The Clone Wars, the little Alina were experiencing tremors in, in their area, but that was because of the, some uh, species being underneath the ground who wanted something covered because the, the air was leaking underneath that was poisonous to them. And then there was also in the novel A New Dawn, uh, Kanan 
had been on the planet Gorse, and the planet had um, experiencing seismic activity because of the moon being too close to it. I, for- I forget the details now. But uh, yeah, I, I just, yeah. just thought it was interesting to see a, a more natural, devastating event happening rather than something that was because of the Empire or pirates or what have you. But still, I was like, damn, that this this is going to destroy the island. That's it. They're going to have to keep moving. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and I like the way that the uh, island life was described or portrayed because it reminded me a lot of Puerto Rico and its earthquakes, uh, yeah. which apparently I experienced but never actually felt because I was asleep. Also, <laughs> <laughs> uh, do I was wondering whether you had any memories of, oh. of earthquakes and nat- oh, or, or yeah. other natural disasters. Oh, yeah. Na- not this disasters themselves because even though we had as I was growing up we had a few hurricanes pass right over where Mm -hmm. we lived Mm -hmm. which is amazing if you've never seen a hurricane come and the eye actually come over and then what comes behind it is destructive it is frightening but at the same time it is so beautiful and so unbelievable that I that clearness right. so I've experienced that I've experienced tremors and I think one of the biggest that I've ever experienced while living in Puerto Rico it actually shook the whole house and this is this is a house built of cinder blocks with iron bars made to withstand and the whole house shook Mm. like it moved everything like jello and right before it the one thing that struck us which we commented and right when we commented about it that's when we felt it was the dogs and the animals they were quiet all of the sudden because the dogs are always barking in Puerto Rico yeah (laughs) you you could hear them everywhere yeah 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 and I had three little dogs who heard other dogs bark. So, of course, they will go out and bark. Yes, yes. Silence. Complete and utter silence. No birds, no animals, no dogs, nothing. Yeah. And all of a sudden, me and my brothers and sisters, we look at each other and say, wow, it is so quiet. At that very moment. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. Which was really cool that they had incorporated the Munoz, the little yeah, monkey things, yes. and how they they felt it before it happened. It happened. Um, and I, I really love that Hunter sensed the earthquake before it happened, it happened because of his heightened senses and his radar-like ability. And I have to say, I, it's a shock that I have not said it yet. And if I have, I, I, I don't remember. But the fact that he reminds me so much of Radar from MASH. Yeah. I just, I love that. And yes. if you're not familiar, <laughs> MASH was a series that aired during the 70s and it took place during the Korean War, specifically in a mobile army surgical hospital. And there was a character named Corporal Walter O'Reilly. And his nickname was Radar because he had this uncanny ability to sense things before they, they happened. happened. One of the bigger demonstrations of this was when he would, he would know a helicopter was coming before... You could, before you could hear it, yeah, and, and and you knew that they had wounded soldiers in those helicopters, and 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 one of the more comical instances was 
when Lieutenant Blake would call him to his office, but Radar would be there already. Yeah. <laughs> so he'd go, so he'd go, Radar! And Radar's like right there next to him. I told you not to do that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, the fact that uh, Hunter has this Radar-like ability, it's yeah. just, it, again, I'm just shocked at myself of not having mentioned it before. <laughs> But yeah, earthquakes happen so often apparently in Puerto Rico that there's a Wikipedia page that lists all of the instances. Yeah. And the reason why they happen so ho- often is because Puerto Rico sits on the boundary between the Caribbean and North American tectonic plates. And and I was reading that there Puerto Rico and uh, I think the Virgin Islands are actually sitting on a micro plate. Mm-hmm. So it's like constantly getting all the seismic activity. Yep. We're sort of like the um, Hawaiian islands, mm. which are, are built out of volcanic um, eruptions. So so we have this fertile soil, so we know the reason why. So it's, it's, like, it's a curse and a, a gift at the same time. We have amazing fertile soil, but the reason we have it is... Why we're always in... I had looked that up too. I don't think mm-hmm. there's any active no, no, volcanoes. No. Yeah, no, yeah. no, no. They're, they're, they're not active, but like that's, that's the, the, reason the reason why yeah, the islands exactly. are, yeah. are there. Um, and then I was curious as to like why people would stay in places that were prone to natural disasters. And this one article I found on a website called SciDev.net, um, which is a... According to them, a leading source of science news, um, (laughs) they said, for many, a disaster-prone area is also where their ancestors have been living for generations, and abandoning the place where they grew up would leave them uprooted. Sometimes a dangerous life is preferable to a loss of place and culture from which there is no recovery. So, yeah, that's usually the reason why. So if you're ever thinking, why don't they just leave? Why don't they just relocate? It's because there are some cultural connections to the place. And the the truth is that not only the connection, but it's not something that that is constantly destroying us. You know what I'm saying? It's not like cyclical. And it comes and goes and you rebuild and you keep going. Right. And then the way people express that, like, you should just move. Like, in this economy? And do you? Yeah. How? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's not an easy feat for for people. So. We saw it after Maria. Yeah. And yeah. It, 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 the Hurricane Maria, if you're not aware. Completely destroyed. Parts of Puerto Rico. And then the earthquakes of 2020. And people try... Uh, there was actually an exodus uh, where people were being moved to Florida and other areas. And it didn't work out well because it's not easy. It is expensive. You know, it's like money doesn't grow out on trees. And we don't have it. The truth is in Puerto Rico, the individuals, we don't have it. Yeah. And then at the end of the day, um, nowhere is truly safe in the Star Wars galaxy or even yeah. in our galaxy, whether you're running from the Empire or high crime rates or what have you, uh, or living in a natural disaster zone, uh, safety is not guaranteed. Uh, and I found this article on LinkedIn, of all places. Um, it was written by Marion Clyde, 
who is the founder of the, uh, the Be the Change Foundation. And she said, uh, while we cannot predict or prepare for all catastrophic events, and there have been plenty lately, we can make choices about how we will move forward. Feeling out of control is a terrible, disconcerting feeling, particularly if you focus on it. We must instead focus on what we can control, our thoughts, our attitude, our actions. And like the mayor of Pavo said, you know, we, we, we will, will rebuild. We, build. we will rebuild. What happened, happened. This is our home. We will rebuild. Yeah. So other little details I, I loved about these episodes. I loved the Jurassic Park slash alien yeah. vibes from that, that, yeah. from that very start of that, 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 that metamorphosis episode. Viscosity, when yeah. he touches that viscosity. The, the, the and I say, you yeah. aliens are yeah. coming. <laughs> yeah, I know. It really had that vibe. There's also that character Emery, who's the one of the scientists at Mount Tantus. And I, I wonder whether she could be a potential ally because I found it interesting that she told Crosshair, or do you prefer Crosshair? Like she gave, she was giving him an option to either use his designation or to use his name. And I found that very interesting. And I like how she looked at Nalase. Ah, yes. Right after uh, the doctor just turned around and kept walking. Yeah. She just stayed there for a moment and she looked at Nalasin. Yeah, I'm I'm very curious like who this person could be because she also has a Kiwi accent. <laughs> so my immediate thought was like, oh my God, is she a clone? <laughs> and and you know, I'm not that having this accent means that she has to be a clone, but in, it's an interesting choice of, of, a, of an accent. And honestly, I have no idea, but I'm curious. And the one thing is she looked like tech. Oh, you know, I didn't even place yes. the, the similarity. Like when Crosshair is opening his eyes like that, uh-huh, uh-huh. I swear that for a moment I thought he was going to say tech. Because she has those goggles. Oh. And the way it's framed in her face. I gotcha. It looks just like tech. So that's two things there. The accent. Yeah. And the goggles. Yeah. I was just like, <laughs> who are you? I want to learn more. <laughs> and then uh, I just, I love the detail of tech playing a game with himself. So, because it's the only time when it's a real challenge. <laughs> I just love that. And um, the way that in the episode of Pabu, Wrecker is so like, oh, I'm full. Yeah. And Tex says, okay, I have to know this because this goes for the record. Yeah. But even right after he says, oh, I'm that too full, the dessert comes and oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've been there, my friend. Um, but yeah, I, I and I, I totally see where people are coming from with the whole tech and fee ship. I get it now. I get it, people. That moment <laughs> where, she, where, where in the beginning of the episode where she goes one way to put the, the, the artifact in where it's supposed to be and they're going to the other way. The way he looked at her. I know. <laughs> I was like... Oh my God! I was He's like, looking what? at her walking away. Yeah. Oh yeah. I was just like, what? <laughs> oh my God! But yeah, I totally see it now, and I want to find all the fan art and all the fanfic because <laughs> I understand. I see it. But that's it. That's it for today's episode. Did you have any other comments regarding the episodes? Anything that was just like we didn't touch on, or that stood out to you? That fee and, and tech relationship and also record saying, I think you have competition. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah. It, it was good. It was three good episodes, and and even though they they were not really connected directly to each other, there was still a they, thread. There was a thread yeah. going through all of them. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, it's, it was really well done. And so uh, next week we'll be discussing the last three episodes of season two, Tipping Point. The Summit, and Plan 99. We'll also talk about the Season 3 trailer because I can finally show it to Mommy at that point. Yes, I I will be allowed. (laughs) Until next time, may the Force be with you. Always. Always.